This morning, I want to talk to you about the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. The election is upon us. And during this period of time, there are going to be a number of issues which will be voted upon. There will be things all the way from who will lead our nation all the way down to our local city and who will lead it and what kind of city we will be. Many will be disappointed Wednesday morning. Uh, Brother Tommy Turner wrote this past week that one thing is certain on Wednesday, half of our country is going to be discouraged and depressed and the other half will be celebrating. I don't know which will be which. And it's very possible that this Wednesday morning that you and I will open our eyes and see that a number of people have been elected that are godless people. We will open our eyes and there will be things about which you and I have tried to take a stand on moral issues and find ourselves disappointed. We may lose at every direction. And if we do, what will be our response? Will we be depressed? Will we be discouraged? Will we uh, kick the dog? Will we be angry with one another? Are there some biblical principles that you and I ought to understand so that we can be a more godly people? I believe there are. And will godliness prevail? There are three things that I want us to talk about for the next few minutes, which it is my hope will make it better for us, open our eyes of understanding, reassure our hearts that Jesus still is the King of kings and Lord of lords. We're going to talk about, number one, the selections of men. The Bible has a lot to say about that. Number two, I want us to talk about the sovereignty of God. Where does God fit in this great picture? And then finally, some sacred principles. Time is upon us. Let us begin our study. And I want to ask you to open your Bibles to the book of 1 Kings chapter 16. And I want us to look at verses 8 through 10. There are a number of passages where one could choose and realize that in the Bible many times the people were not elected or selected, but they became rulers by means of intrigue, by means of violence. Very interesting passage found there. We read, In the 26th year of Asa, king of Judah, Elah, son of Baasha, became king over Israel, And he reigned two years in Terzah. Now his servant Zemri, commander of half of his chariots, conspired against him and was in, while he was in Terzah, drinking himself drunk in the house of Arza, the steward of his house in Terzah, Zemri went in and struck him and killed him in the 27th year of Asa king of Judah, and he reigned in his place. I chose this passage for a couple of reasons. Number one, it shows what happens many times in the rulers of this world. Someone will decide they want to be the ruler and they will find the person who is at the head and they will kill him and take the position themselves. 
The second reason why I chose this passage was because of the referendum. If you'll notice what is said in verse 9, it says about Elah, he was drinking himself drunk. You recognize it affects people and causes them to be vulnerable when otherwise they would not have been. But there are times when God does allow people to choose their leaders, their rulers. There is a time when people sometimes can vote upon whom they want to lead. In Deuteronomy chapter 1 and verse 13, God says, Choose wise, understanding, knowledgeable men from among your tribes, and I will make them heads over you. God says, choose good people, choose wise people, choose understanding people, and I'll make them your heads. He allowed the people to choose their own rulers. Do you remember Jethro, Moses' father-in-law? When Moses was leading the children of Israel up to Mount Sinai, he was spending all day, every day, judging all kinds of matters, And his father tells him, he says, select from all the people able men, men who fear God, men of truth, hating covetousness. And he goes on to explain, if this is what God wants you to do, do that. So men sometimes are selected, even in the church. When we get to Acts chapter 6, the apostles are very busy in preaching the gospel, but there's a problem that has arisen. There are widows who are not being taken care of when they're serving the food on a daily basis. Some of those who were Grecian widows. And the apostles said, Brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom that we may appoint over this business. You see, the congregation was allowed to select certain men to put forward before the apostles to choose. God does permit at times selection to take place, but here's what's a reality. A lot of time, the people that we select are not the kind of people God would select. Oh, you mean that's true? Well, sure it is. Listen to 1 Samuel chapter 8 and verse 7. Samuel had been the judge or in some sense a ruler over Israel. And Samuel, the Lord said to Samuel, Heed the voice of the people and all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me, that I should not reign over them. You see... They chose a king rather than the man that God had chosen. And in reality, they were rejecting God and God's plan. In Hosea chapter 8 and verse 7, he said, They set up kings, but not by me. They made princes, but I did not acknowledge them. Oh yes, a nation rises up and God says, But I don't recognize them. I don't acknowledge them. They're not by me. When Solomon writes the book of Proverbs, he recognizes that you can put forth men who are lacking in integrity, lacking in righteousness, and he says, when the righteous rejoice, there is great glory. But when the wicked arise, men hide themselves. Chapter 14, verse 34, righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. 
And we recognize that you and I can, as we walk into that ballot box and we cast our vote, we can cast a vote for someone whom God considers to be a sinful leader and in sinful ways. But the truth is, God allows us to live with the consequences of our choices. You choose someone wicked to rule over you, and then you will suffer the consequences. For just a few minutes, I want you to turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 8. I want us to pick up with verse 11 and read through verse 20. Because when the children of Israel selected their king, selected the idea they wanted, God had Samuel to present before them, this is what's going to happen with you choosing this kind of ruler. He's going to talk to them about the way of kings. Beginning with verse 11. This will be the behavior of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them for his own chariots and to be his horsemen. And some will run before his chariots. He will appoint captains over thousands and captains over fifties will set some to plow his ground and reap his harvest and some to make his weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers, cooks, and bakers. And he will take the best of your fields and your vineyards, your olive groves, and take them for his servants. He will take a tenth of your grain and of your vintage and give it to his officers and servants. And he will take of your male servants, your female servants, and your finest young men and your donkeys, and they will put them to his work. He will take a tenth of your sheep, and you will be his servants. And you will cry out that day because of your king, whom you have chosen for yourselves. And the Lord will not hear you in that day. Nevertheless, the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel, and they said, No, but we will have a king over us, that we may be like the nations, and that our king may judge us, go out before us, and fight our battles. Oh, you could spend a lot of time talking about what Samuel said I want you to notice just a few things as you look down in that passage. Notice the word his. He'll provide for his servants. He'll take yours and make them his. The truth is, leaders by nature tend to be selfish. They serve themselves rather than the people for whom they were selected. It cost to have a king. He's going to take a tenth of your grain. He's going to take a tenth of your olives. He's going to take a tenth of your vintage. He's going to take a tenth of your sheep. Oh, yes. He's also going to take your children for war. He's going to take your men and women servants for himself. You ask for him, you got him. And God says... When that day comes and you cry out and say, Oh, we don't like the leader we've got now. God's going to say, when you call out, I'm not going to listen. Because you made the selection yourself. 
Now, with that in mind, you might say you painted a pretty depressing picture. That the selections of men somehow are so awful, but let me remind you that God is still sovereign. God still rules over this world that belongs to him. Oh yes, he lets us make selections. But don't forget, God is involved in every aspect. For instance, let's go to Psalms chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. As you get there, the psalmist is trying to picture man on earth and God in heaven and man's feeble attempts. He said, why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed saying, let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. You see, man says, we will not be ruled by God. We will do what we want to do. Verse 3 or verse 4 says, He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision. Do you know if a man shakes his fist at God and says, I'll do what I want to do. I'll go my way. I am in the ruler of this world. God sits in heaven and laughs at such ideas. Who do they believe they are? There's a very valuable passage found in Daniel chapter 4, beginning with verse 29 is where we're going to begin our reading. You do need to read the whole chapter, but I want to begin with Nebuchadnezzar as he is in this great, beautiful palace where there's the hanging gardens. It's well watered. It would have been an impressive sight to see. He says at the end of 12 months, he was walking about the royal palace of Babylon. The king spoke saying, Is this not great Babylon that I have built from my royal dwelling by my mighty power and the honor of my majesty? While the word was still in the king's mouth, a voice fell from heavens. King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken, the kingdom has departed from you. Oh, you mean there's a man at the height of his power and he's enjoying all of his glory, his majesty. He says the kingdom is departed from you. Verse 32, and they shall drive you from men and your dwelling shall be with the beast of the field. They will make... You eat grass like oxen. Seven times shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he chooses. That very hour, the word was fulfilled concerning Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men. He ate grass like oxen. His body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair had grown like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird's claws. Now listen carefully to verse 34. 
at the end of the time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up my eyes to heaven and my understanding returned to me and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored Him who lives forever for His dominion is an everlasting dominion and His kingdom from generation to generation, all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. He does according to His will in the army of heaven among the inhabitants of the earth. No one can restrain him or say to him, what have you done? Oh, do you see the picture? Nebuchadnezzar recognizes God's in control. I'm not in control. Oh, yes, man at his height of power and glory and dominion is nothing in God's sight because God can take him down in a moment and in a time. If you keep on reading through the book of Daniel, you get to chapter 5. You recognize that Nebuchadnezzar has passed and now his son Belshazzar is the ruler. Belshazzar is giving a party, if you will. And at the party, he is trying to let everybody know how great he is. And Daniel has to rebuke Belshazzar by pointing out to him, if you look at verse 18, O king, most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar your father a kingdom and majesty and glory and honor. He goes on to say that he allowed him to raise up whomever he wanted to raise up and put down whomever he wanted to put down. Verse 20, but when his heart was lifted up, his spirit was hardened in pride. He was deposed of his kingly throne. He goes on to explain he was driven from among men as we have just read. But look at verse 22. But you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, although you knew all of this. There's a hand that appears on the wall. And the hand that appears on the wall writes, according to verse 25, Mene, Mene, Tiko, Yepharsin, which means your kingdom has been weighed in the balances and found wanting. That kingdom is going to be stripped away from you and given to the Medes and to the Persians. You mean God can raise a nation up and give it power and glory and dominion? Yes, and God can take that nation and drag it back down and give that nation to others. God's people will not be vanquished. They will not be destroyed by any earthly ruler. You go back to Daniel 2 and verse 44. Nebuchadnezzar had a dream of this great image, head of gold, chest of silver, belly of brass, legs of feet and legs of iron and feet of part iron and part clay. And Nebuchadnezzar was bothered by that great image and Daniel explains the vision. He says it was four kingdoms. But he said, let me tell you about that one that struck that image on its foot. In the days of these kings, the God of heaven shall set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. And the kingdom shall not be left to other peoples. It shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms and it shall stand forever. Brethren, he's talking about the Lord's church. As Jesus said in Matthew 16 and verse 18, the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Same thing said in Daniel 7, verse 27. 
You see, the truth is Jesus is the real king. He is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. In John 18, as Jesus stood before Pilate, the ruling civil authority representing the Roman government there in Jerusalem, Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. Pilate therefore said to him, are you a king then? Jesus answered, you have rightly said that I am a king. Jesus' answer is, yes, I'm a king, Pilate. Just not in the way people think here on this earth. Pilate may have gotten the idea that he was really in control, but Jesus reminds him in John 19, verse 11, you could have no power at all against me unless it had been given you from above. Oh, you mean God is really in control? Pilate, you're not in control. You just think you are. Folks, we've got to realize the sovereignty of God is above and beyond all that is here upon the face of this earth. Sadly, though, just like in that day, there's some people who will look at Jesus, who is the King of kings and Lord of lords, and say, I will not submit to him. John 19, verse 15. But they cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, We have no king but Caesar. We have some people in this world who said, our leader is the president of the United States. Our leader is the governor of the state of Tennessee. Our leader is our mayor of our town. No. If you are a child of God, your leader is the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The prophecy of Isaiah 9, verses 6 and 7. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Philippians 2, 9 and 10 talks about this name that is highly exalted. It's above every name. It's at the name of Jesus. Every knee should bow and every tongue should confess. I think it's interesting. Leviticus chapter 4, verses 22 and 23 recognize the fact that leaders can and do sin and they are held accountable by God and God will hold them accountable whether they repent of those sins or not. Now very quickly I'd like to talk about some sacred principles. Some things that are revealed in the Bible that you and I need to appreciate and understand. Our citizenship is in heaven. While you and I are here on this earth we are merely strangers, sojourners and pilgrims. You see, for now almost 40 years, I have been a citizen of the state of Tennessee. Whenever it's been my privilege to travel to another country, 
and to go and visit people in those countries, I recognize that I don't belong there. I am just a pilgrim passing through a foreign land because I intend to return home. In much the same way, you and I have to realize we're just here for such a short span of time. If we live 70, 80, 90, 100 years, what is that in relation to the fullness of time? Oh, but nothing but a drop. And that's the reason why in Philippians chapter 3, verse 20, Paul would write, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. I will tell you, whenever it comes time to come back home, I love to see that airplane that's flying back to the United States. Because I want to come home. I'm tired. I'm weary. I want something familiar. You and I have to think about what is familiar, what is home to us, our citizenship, and it's in heaven. Hebrews 11, 13 through 16 talked about Abraham and Sarah. And he talked about them confessing that they were but strangers and pilgrims on earth. They were seeking a better place, a heavenly country. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11 through 16, he says, Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from the fleshly lust which war against the soul. He's talking about our making sure that we do not get caught up in this world and all the world has to offer that we keep ourselves distinct from this world. No leader, no nation, no confederacy of nations can ever destroy God's people. What a wonderful discussion in Psalms 83 verses 2 through 8 and in verses 17 through 18. I'm not going to be able to go through all of this. I will point out to you that there's a confederacy there in verse 5. But then you get to verses 17 and 18. Let them be confounded, be dismayed forever. Yes, let them be put to shame and perish, that they may know that you, whose name alone is the Lord, are the most high over all the earth. But the third sacred principle that one ought to draw from this is that we should not put our faith and our trust in man. I didn't say we shouldn't put our faith and trust in a man, a particular person. But we shouldn't put our faith and our trust in man as general. The arm of flesh will fail you as our song says. In Psalms 146, verses 3 through 10, he says, Do not put your trust in princes, nor in a son of man, in whom there is no help. Why? His spirit departs. He returns to the earth. You want me to tell you what will happen? You put your confidence and your trust in a man, he's going to die on you. The truth is, is that man is incapable. When you get to Isaiah chapter 30 and verse 31, one of the great problems that Israel had was Israel was not looking 
to God as leader, but was looking to Egypt. And so he says, Woe to the rebellious children, says the Lord, who take my counsel but or take counsel but not of me, who devise plans but not by my spirit. He said, verse two, who walked to go down to Egypt and have not asked my advice, to strengthen themselves in the strength of Pharaoh and to trust in the shadow of Egypt. You see, they would look at Egypt and say, Egypt's gonna take care of us. Verse 1 of chapter 31, Woe to those who go down to Egypt for help and rely on horses who trust in chariots because there are many and in horsemen because they are very strong. But do not look to the Holy One of Israel nor seek the Lord. Sometimes we look for power. We look for strength. We want man to stand up. And in reality, we've got to realize man is not in whom we should place our trust Our trust should be in the God of heaven. So come what may, Wednesday morning, I trust God can handle it with me or without me. But as a reality that you and I are in a world where we do have choices, God expects us to learn to approve things that are excellent things that are good, that are right. In other words, God expects me to raise my hand and say, I am for good and I am for what's right. In Philippians 1, verses 9 and 10, And this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent. God wants us to uphold righteousness, uphold goodness, and approve it. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 21 and 22, test all things, hold fast what is good, abstain from every form of evil. It's been my purpose in this lesson to focus your mind away from just the here and the now, to focus on higher nobler, more eternal things. I want to use one last scriptural illustration from 2 Kings chapter 6. Oh, do you remember Elisha and his servant? Do you remember the fear that was in his mind? I want you to listen as we look at verses 15 and 16. And when the servant of the man of God arose early and went out. There was an army surrounding the city with horses and chariots. And his servant said to him, Alas, my master, what shall we do? So he answered, Do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Let me tell you something. If the godless should win every election, every referendum in this country of ours, Wednesday morning, we are not in the minority. We are not those who are on the losing side because more is with us than with them. Because with God there is a majority. 
God is in control of this world and God controls the future. For you, the question is, with whom will I stand? Will I stand with the King of kings and the Lord of lords? Will I make Him my Lord, my Savior, and I will be His servant? Or will I stand with this world? And that's really the choice that we each are left with. I mentioned the selections of men. When Joshua stood with the children of Israel ready to cross over into the promised land, he asked them saying, Choose this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods your father served on the other side of the river, the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will choose the Lord. If you need to become a Christian, if you believe that Jesus is the Christ, and you're willing to repent of your sins, and you're willing to be baptized for the remission of those sins, we encourage you to come this morning. We encourage you to come and we'll let you confess your faith in Christ and be baptized. If you are a Christian walking in the ways of the world and you recognize, now I've got to make sure I'm on the right side, we'll pray with you. Would you come together as we stand and sing?